only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The scripture reading for this morning is found in the first chapter of Hebrews, and that is found on page 1001 in the Blue Pew Bible. I'll begin in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1 and read through verse 4 of chapter 2. Listen as the Son, our Savior, is revealed to us. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The word of our Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we study his word together. Lord, we thank you for this marvelous revelation of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and It just runs beyond our imagination. It runs beyond all thought, Lord, who he is, what he has revealed to us, what he has accomplished for us, what we have in him, what our future is in him, what our present condition is in him. Lord, we are people upon whom glory has rested. The the glory cloud of the Old Testament is nothing compared to the glory 
in which we dwell in Christ. As Paul himself said in 2 Corinthians 3, that this glory in Christ has made that glory to have no glory. Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that are lifted up, uh, hearts that have hope in Christ, hearts that are strengthened in Christ, hearts that see the unlimited riches that we have in Christ, and therefore hearts that are sustained in the midst of loneliness and difficulty and tragedy, hearts that are sustained and even grown and built up and strengthened in the midst of the worst things, proving that you are indeed a rock. Nothing can stay your hand to bless your people. Nothing can snatch us out of your hand. Nothing can separate us from your love. You are Lord, and you will bless your people. Lord, we pray, bless us now. Open up our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Amen. You know, one of the questions that regularly comes to you if you're talking to people outside the faith is, why Christianity over some other religion? Why this and not that? Are you to tell me that this is the right religion and Buddhism is not and Islam is not? saying that uh, Hinduism is not, but this is, this is the right one. Why Christianity? And then maybe even closer to home, why Christianity and not Judaism? Are, are you going to criticize or say that Judaism is not a way to God when they even worship, it seems like, the same God, you know, the same God that revealed himself in the Ten Commandments, the same God that separated the Red Sea? How can you say that that would be wrong? And the one reason that we would give for this religion over any other religion, or as a matter of fact, this philosophy over any other philosophy, you want to take it as a religio-philosophical structure by which we understand the world, is Jesus Christ. That's the first and middle and last answer that we have to that question. That there is no one to compare to him. There's no figure in history that comes close to him. And what he's revealed, what he's accomplished for mankind, there is nothing. Uh, This Christmas celebration is the unique celebration of the unique revelation and appearance of God through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the other. And he's not only spoke the word of God, but he fully revealed God in all that he was and all that he accomplished. And all other supposed revelations are brought into the light of this monumental uncovering and unveiling of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And there is no other revelation. There is no other religion. Because of Jesus Christ. Now, what you have to ask in terms of any religion, including Christianity, is where or do you base what you think 
And, you know, Jeff Foxworthy talks about different southern phrases like, Jew? You know, translation, did you, right? Uh, I didn't see it, Jew? Uh, and using that, you can ask that question of any religion or philosophy that proposes to give the meaning of life. It proposes to give a structure for understanding all things. Where did you get that? <laughs> right? That's the fundamental question that we ask anybody. And they can ask of us. Where would you get that? We say, Jesus Christ. That's where we got it. Everything is in Him. We have nothing to offer you except Him. That's why many say that to, uh, to argue about God is not the place to start. The place to start is the full revelation of God in the person of Christ. Deal with Him. Focus on Him. Present Him to people. Because He is the whole reason uh, for everything that we are and everything that we do. Now, uh, of all of these things, certainly the most challenging competitor... Would, would be Judaism. I mean, Exodus, Red Sea, Ten Commandments, Elijah on Mount Carmel, you know, that kind of thing. That's a lot to compete with, as it seemed to be for people of that day. Like even the Jews. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And they kind of shrug their shoulders and wait for another miracle. And they say... Okay, 5,000 people, but God fed man, fed people for 40 years every day. What else you got? Really? That was their approach. What else you got, Jesus? Come on, we need more than that. Because they were looking for something bigger, brighter, different. And yet, the writer of uh, Paul himself in 2 Corinthians can say, the glory that is revealed in Christ makes the glory of the old covenant no longer glorious. And of course, this writer, he's writing to Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians started well. They early on were willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ, the glory of Christ, the passion they had for Christ. But over the years, the persecution was beginning to wear on them. And at this point, they're beginning to compromise and think, let's fall back to our Jewish position, okay? Um, let's go to the Jewish faith minus this Messiah, minus the virgin birth, minus the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. And so, it's hard to understand why he talks about angels here in the first part of this book except as how he's trying to compare the revelation that came to Moses and the revelation that came to Christ. But basically, he's, he's trying to build a wall to protect them from abandoning Christ to say, Christ really doesn't matter. We're just going to be Jews again. It's a lot safer politically. We may not be thrown in jail. Uh, we may live to be an old age. And after all, it's Yahweh anyway. Right, And so, he, he's constantly laying before them the difference, the superiority of Jesus Christ over angels. But why angels? Why keep bringing up angels if you're trying to keep people from turning away from Christ to 
for Judaism, a Judaism minus Jesus. Well, it, 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 as you're reading even the first verses, as he lays out the glory of Christ in those first three verses, then he mentions the angels, and then he spends all of his quotation time, let's say, in verses 5 and following, seven quotations that match the seven statements that he made about Christ in the first verses, he spends all of his time comparing Jesus with the angels. Now, some have mistakenly thought that they must have had this thing of worshiping angels, and it'd be some kind of... uh, uh, synthetic uh, religion that they were beginning to concoct uh, mixed with the worship of angels. But there's really no mention of angels throughout, and that doesn't seem to be a concern. And the real key is to look in chapter 2, which we read, as he says in verse 2, the message declared by angels. Okay, That's a formula for saying the whole Old Testament. It's a formula for saying the revelation that came through Moses. It's a way of describing the whole of the Old Covenant, really, and the whole of the revelation of the Old Covenant. Uh, Angels played a big part in the Exodus, okay? Uh, We read in Exodus 3, 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Very familiar with that, but it says the angel of the Lord, okay? And yet Yahweh spoke, Or in Exodus 14, it talks about the angel going before them. And when Pharaoh's coming, it says the angel swings around and comes back between them and Pharaoh. But this is angel, okay? Angel presence here in the Exodus. And in Isaiah 63, 9, it says, In all of their affliction, God was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. So this, this constant association with the angels, the fact that the angel of the Lord was speaking to him in the bush, uh, the, the conclusion was drawn that all of this communication from God to Moses was taking place through angelic uh, mediation. And this is strengthened in when you think of Exodus 33, where Moses asks to see God face to face, and he says, no, nobody can see me face to face. I'll show you a oblique view of myself, you know, uh, not a direct view, but my backside, literally. Uh, but you can't see me straightway. And that gives rise to the conclusion that there must have been a mediation of angels. But Um, So, even in Galatians 3, Paul says the law was put in place through angels, okay? Or when Stephen is preaching to the Jews, there's an assumed knowledge of this when he says the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai, this is in Acts 7, the long speech he gave before he was stoned by the Jews. They didn't stone him for this because they agreed with this, okay? It was later when he talked about Christ. And he says also in Acts 7, you receive the law as delivered by angels. So that's why, you see, it's so important for him right off the bat to say, Christ is infinitely superior to angels. And you're returning to an angelic mediation, an angelic declaration, when now God has spoken in his Son. Don't do that. See, that's the feel of this. And that's why he says here in uh, chapter 2, since the message declared by angels 
proved to be reliable. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation as we've heard now from the lips of the Lord? You know how punishments were then. It was pretty severe. We tend to think in the New Testament, eh, easy going. He says, it's going to be far worse for you if you abandon the revelation that comes through God's own Son to return to the revelation from angels. And of course, you know, angelic revelation is pretty cool, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. Majestic, glorious beings that make you want to fall on your face before them. And uh, that's not something to sneeze at. And of course, Joseph Smith uh, had a good idea, didn't he? Uh, the one who began Mormonism. He says the angel Moroni showed him some golden plates with Egyptian hieroglyphics and gives him a pair of glasses to interpret and translate the hieroglyphics. And of course, the golden plates are gone now. But um, nonetheless, a lot of people, millions of people went for the angel thing. Millions of people. Because that's cool. Angel, tra- angel coming and appearing before you. Angels on the glory of Mount Sinai and the huge cloud of the magnificent presence of God. It's as though the throne room of God was opened up on the top of Mount Sinai and Moses was caught up and before this heavenly host as they mediated the very presence of God. But the writer's argument here is that that was nothing. (laughs) That was nothing. Because now He has spoken to us in His Son. So, he's incomparable to the angels as he's driving at through these quotations. So, the angelic mediators were great. God was speaking. There's no doubt about it. Because as he begins, he spoke in many ways. He was speaking, though. But now, he spoke, he's spoken in a bold new way by his Son. And you ignore it at your own peril. And so it's like all of these steps of the Old Testament, as he talks about it in chapter 1, verse 1, he, he spoke long ago and many times in many ways. These were like steps of, of revelation that were continually bringing us to something, continually raising us to something. Finally, it was Christ. It's like this huge, expansive, lush, fertile plateau that was just gorgeous and had all kinds of beauty and nourishment and resources and streams in it. And the steps were leading to that plateau. Christ, you see. Well, think of the foolishness then of them saying, we're going to leave the plateau and we're going to go hang out on the steps now. Just going to stand on the steps. Like going up a, a building to look over the city and you don't go up to the building, you hang out in the stairwell. Yeah. No, the, the stairs are for, to bring you to that view. Or, or being in a castle that, that overlooks a countryside and a village, but you just hang out on the steps. No, this is all, the point of everything is to lead you to Christ and Christ has come. 
And so he says in chapter 2, you must not drift away. It's a nautical term uh, that we must pay close attention to this lest we drift away from it like going down rapids and there's this one place where you can get out of the rapids and you just go by them. Uh, or, or someone who, who floats out from the seashore and drifts out and can't get back and they drown, they die. That's the picture here of drifting away from this precious truth of Christ. And that's then the structure here of this whole passage of setting forth that he's spoken in so many ways, but now he's spoken of all things in his Son. And he keeps underscoring that in those first verses. This is none other than the one who created the world. This is none other than one, other, the one that upholds the very universe. Are you now going to go to angels when now you've got the creator, the sustainer of the universe who now is revealing God? And he even says he's the radiance of his glory, the imprint of his nature. It's not just he speaks things as angels spoke or he spoke things through prophets. He manifests God himself in his revelation. And what's so, what's so striking in this whole book of Hebrews It's not just neglecting in the sense of, hey, there's a new set of rules and you better follow them, okay? It's not the feel of this. Because notice what he says in verse uh, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? See, what's been revealed is salvation. What's been revealed to us is God stretching forth His infinite being to rescue us from sin and manifesting the greatness of His love and the greatness of His sacrifice that this Son would make purification for sins, as He says in that, those first verses. And so He urges them later in chapter 3, verse 6. He says... We're his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. He's saying, keep having confidence in the greatness of Jesus Christ. Keep hoping in all that he's done for you. Don't turn away from that confidence and trust and hope in Christ that should govern everything that you do. He should have the greatest esteem to you because you delight in him and you love him and you give your life away to him. You're willing to die for him because he's so magnificent to you. And yes, it does mean obedience, but it's obedience that comes from this this heart trust, this hope, this confidence in Christ. And so later in that chapter, he says, Beware lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart in you. Keep believing the greatness of this salvation. You Christian Jews, professing Christian Jews, to turn away and say, I don't need or care for this Messiah who has revealed the love of God by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. I don't care for that anymore. You've turned away God himself in doing that. Don't have that unbelieving heart. And notice he says, leading you to fall away from the living God. There's a Jewish phrase. You think 
that you're staying with the living God? Do you think by abandoning Christ, you're going to get to have the world? You're going to get to have safety? You're going to get to have an old age? And you get Yahweh to boot. But you'll go out there to escape all of this persecution and this difficulty and affliction, thinking that you will be with God and you will have abandoned the living God. He will be ever against you and you will be under His wrath because you have refused the only salvation there is. You will refuse this final, complete unveiling of His beauty and glory in the person of Christ and you ultimately will say, I detest you and despise you. And I'd rather have the world than you. So he says... Again, in 3.14, hold fast your confidence. 4.14, hold fast our, our confession and confidence. And then turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. And you get the real heart of what he, he... He really drives the whole of the book, whole of this letter, to this point in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that is the very presence of God, the very holy place of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. So He in His suffering and death has opened the way that we can come into the very holy presence of God. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, and He spent several chapters talking about Christ's priesthood, here it is, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. That's the whole driving passage for this whole book where he's going to say, hold fast to Christ. Don't abandon this place that you have in the favor of God, in the very presence of God through Jesus Christ. Don't turn away from Him. And so this this word that He's saying, don't turn away from, to neglect this salvation, to turn away from something that's so full of comfort and encouragement. It's full of rescue and deliverance. There's a priest who will... uh, sacrifice for you. There's a priest who will appear before God for you. There's a priest that will bring you into the very presence of God, even though you're a sinner. Don't neglect that salvation. So my my point is, it's not a matter of, hey, keep doing the right things and don't turn away from doing those. It's don't neglect this salvation. Don't neglect this son by whom the father has spoken. And just a few words about these, the particulars of this, these, these uh, quotations. Really, it, it, is, it repeats in many respects what, how he opened up the book. As he talks about the Lord being, the Son being the Lord over creation. Well, you have the marvelous passage, spoken of the Son 
saying in verse 10, You, Lord, and he means Christ. By the way, if you want to ever have the opportunity to talk to a Jehovah's Witness, you couldn't do better than Hebrews chapter 1. Even the most liberal commentators, okay, may not even believe this is the Word of God, but they will say, This guy believed that Christ was God, and he is setting him forth as God. There's no doubt about it, okay? And he's... See, this just follows from what he said in verse 2, through whom also he created the world. And the fact that he sustains the universe and upholds the universe, he says, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will wear out, but you're the same. Your years will have no end. You know, uh, we guys... uh, Of course, some of us don't learn that we do outlive our T-shirts, but uh, we do outlive our T-shirts. And so after wearing a T-shirt every week for five years, you know, that's like 250 times, and it's gray and dingy and brown and yellow things under the arms and holes everywhere. It's time for a new six-pack of white T-shirts, right? They're worn out, and you're going to get another pack and then another pack and another pack. And that's kind of the idea here is that the whole of this glorious universe is just going to be rolled up like a garment. It's just going to wear out. It seems so magnificent and glorious to us, but it's just like a garment that wears out. You know, trillions and trillions of years to God, it's just a baton of an eyelash. He sustains all things. And this writer is saying, that's the Lord. That's the Lord who has revealed God. Don't don't ignore Him. Don't ignore Him and go back to angels that are a part of this creation, a part of this garment that is just so flimsy and it's going to be rolled up. He's the Creator. They're part of creation. You're going to leave the Creator to bow down now to that, to go back to that? And he begins and ends with the same thing. To which of the angels did God ever say? You see it in verse 5, and then he comes back to it in verse 13. And in verse 5 and 6, he has three statements that fall under that. To which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I've forgotten you. Or, I'll be with him a father, and he shall be a, to me a son. And when he brings this firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship. When, when did he ever say anything like that about an angel? There's a lot that we could say about how these were messianic and how they developed in Jewish thought and the like. But the writer is setting forth these to say, this is what God has said about this one. And the name that is above every name Verse 4, the, the name he's inherited, it's Son. He's the Son, okay? And he's the one, the, these statements, you are my Son today, I've begotten you, were applied to his resurrection throughout the New Testament. And so, uh, and at the end when he says, sit at my right hand, there's another mention of his exaltation and his, his resurrection. So this whole uh, section is beautifully laid out and it's framed by these two statements, one from Psalm 2 and the other from Psalm 110 about the resurrection and 
exaltation of Christ, and resurrection and exaltation of Christ. And in between is this little comparison, verses 7 through 11, of the angels and the Son. And it's kind of interesting because look at the two lines the angels have, verse 7. He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And the point there is that wind and fire are so ephemeral. You know, they're there one day and gone the next. They're, they're not, there's not much to them in the end. Wind and fire may sound glorious, but he means something other than. And then he, look how long the section is on the sun from verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Well, the point is, he says, well, here's the angels, and he gets a little few gold coins and puts them on the table. He says, now let me tell you about Christ. And you hear the dump truck, beep, 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 backing up, unloads gold bars, you know, as big as your house. And these are the angels. This is the sun. Okay. That's the point of the middle section. These are the angels. This is the sun. Are you going to ignore this house boatload of gold that has come to you in the sun, the full revelation of the glory of God. Are you going to ignore him? How can we neglect so great a salvation, this treasure that God has given himself to us in the sun? He wants us to embrace him and have him and taste him and be nourished on him as he gives himself to us in his son. How can we neglect so great a salvation? And the wonderful thing, and I close with this, the wonderful thing about His Sonship. You see, all of this is based certainly on the fact that He's God's eternal Son. And and, and a lot of, even in past um, history of interpretation, because people have always wanted to prove at every point that he's God's eternal son, they have neglected how much Scripture talks about Jesus as the Messiah being God's son. And what do I mean by that? So there's the eternal nature of his being God's son. Actually, the writers of Scripture just assume that. That's not an argument to them. They don't even feel like they have to prove that. That's a given that he's God's eternal son. But what's so personal to you and me is that as Messiah, as the God-man, okay, as the one who is our mediator, as the first true perfect human being that is joined to us, God says of him, you are my son. And, And these words in Psalm 2 are echoed in Mark 1 when he's baptized in the the Holy Spirit comes upon him and you hear the voice from heaven. You are my son. So the echo of, of Psalm 2, this is the one. This is his son. But really, you are my son is declared. Today I've begotten you is really about the resurrection. And here's what's so encouraging. Having died on the cross for my people, having I now raise you from the dead and exalt you to the right hand, my right hand, you are my son. And here's the little parenthesis. And everyone that belongs to you. 
He has exalted humanity into the presence of God. And so when God says to him, you are my son, when he says to him, you sit at my right hand, he's saying that to a human being. He's saying it to a human being that represents us, that's joined to us, and he takes us into the presence of God. We have God's favor forever because we belong to him. Nothing can tear us away from that. We have Christ. We have the favor of God. Yeah, angels are great. They're ministering spirits. They stand before God and they go and minister us. That's a wonderful thing. He's the one on the throne that sends them out. And we belong to Him. What happens in the new creation is these glorious angels that really are kind of over us in power and glory is just turned upside down. We're the ones brought into union with Jesus Christ. We're the ones of whom Paul says in Ephesians 2, He has raised us and He has seated us at His, at His right hand with Him. We're seated in Christ in the heavenlies. You see, that's why the writer says, don't neglect such a salvation. Here are the Jews we're going to abandon the true priest that brought us into the Holy of Holies to go to this shadowy form in which once a year a priest goes into this tab, this this temple that's a picture of heaven one time a year to offer the blood of an animal ain't going to work <laughs> not going to despise what this was pointing to the precious offering of God's own son and then spit upon that son and say, I'll take a goat instead. And that's why he calls it later a trampling of the blood of Christ. There's an awful scene in a, a, a book, a fantasy book, a series of six volumes I, I read. Uh, a guy called Ransom is the uh, chief character. And there's a horrible scene at the end of the third book of the six in which this evil, evil being finally kills someone he's been wanting to kill and then he just dances on the blood as it's shed on the ground, just dances on it. It's one of the most horrible scenes I've ever read. He gets his in the end, by the way. <laughs> and that's the picture he has of abandoning Jesus because it is a kind of trampling on his blood. It, to say anything is more important, to say that any other person that would reveal God is more important to me. There's another revelation besides, as it says in Acts 20, God gave his blood. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And my, my heart for you is that you will be inside the veil. Inside the veil with the greatest confidence, the greatest happiness, the greatest relief, the greatest joy. Because you know the favor of God through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. So then you're free to study and look at your sin. You're free to admit what you are and you aren't. 
You're free because you're accepted. You have favor. You're justified. You're brought into the presence of God through the precious blood of Christ. He has died for your sins. He clothes you in his righteousness. Now you can really begin to change. Now you can have a place of safety in which to stand to begin to be a different person. Now you can look forward to everything in the future. Everything. Because he's going to work out everything for good. And in the final day, you'll be raised from the dead. And death can't stop that because he's Lord. Um, in the movie, Ghosts. Okay. Oh, everybody's rolling. Oh, no, not ghosts. <laughs> At the end, um, the bad guy, Carl, who has tried to set up a laundering deal with drug money. And in the process, trying to get the, the codes to these bank accounts that are going to give him access to these millions of dollars, uh, his boss, Patrick Swayze, is killed. Okay, So he's a murderer now because of it. But at the end, because Patrick Swayze, the ghost, okay, has um, emptied that bank account, through Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, you just got to see it. Uh, <laughs> what, a crazy, what a crazy illustration. But, but at the end, he's emptied this bank account where the, the guy had moved this money over and he's about to unload the money and give it to the drug people and the whole deal's going down. Well, he goes to the computer and that account is gone. He gets desperate because if he didn't come up with this six million or so dollars, he's dead. The drug people will send him to the bottom of the river. Okay, so he's just breaking down a sweat and he just he keeps typing, typing, empty, empty. You know what I think of that? I think of death. I think of death looking for us. It had us. We're in its account. It's going to use us forever, and we're gone. We're gone. Can't do anything about it. And I hear those words, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, what a glorious Savior we have. How magnificent. This one who created the world, this one who sustains the universe, this one who just rolls up the whole of the universe like we would a pallet. How glorious. He's the only one that could reveal you, O oh Father. He's the only one that could show you. He's the only one that can plumb the depths of God and show it to us. And to think that this glorious one who sustains the universe would pour himself out and become a servant to the point of the death of, on the cross to rescue us. To rescue us. And Lord, in that... There's more glory than even in the creation, even in the sustaining of the universe, the glory that shows forth and that this God died for us. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you freely gave him and you freely offer him to us. 
And we, no matter what our sin, no matter what our enslavement, we get to trust in Him. We get to put the whole of ourselves and all of our weakness and frailty and sinfulness just unloaded on Christ. Unburden ourselves upon Him and let Him hold us from now on and forever. And let Him take us through every single thing that's ever going to happen in our lives and take us through death itself and one day renew the whole of this creation and give us new bodies so that we can laugh at death in the face. Because it doesn't have us anymore. No matter how many times it hits the key, we are gone. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your rescue, for this Savior, for such a one that we can spend our lives admiring, following, imitating, manifesting, trusting. Thank you for such a precious gift of yourself, O God, in the person of Christ. May we never, never neglect this salvation. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?